Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Denmark Francisco. As a seasoned marketing executive with a proven track record, Denmark brings 15 years of expertise to the table, consistently driving revenue growth and achieving outstanding results for startup ventures. His career highlights include assisting four startups in achieving successful acquisitions, contributing to a total value of $860 million. Denmark's unique approach to marketing is rooted in a scientific and mathematical framework, prioritizing data-driven analysis. He brings a distinctive blend of CFO, CRO, and CMO thinking and action to the table. Throughout his career, he consistently exceeds targeted KPIs, underscoring his unwavering commitment to delivering exceptional results. As a CMO and VP of Marketing, Denmark is well-equipped to make a significant impact and contribute to the success of the next great company. Welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Brandy. Thanks for that intro. I don't know who wrote that, but... Did I write that or somebody else wrote that? But thanks, I, I appreciate it. There's a lot of adjectives in there. <laughs> yeah, as I was say, your background and bio is definitely very impressive. So I am looking forward to our discussion. But before we dive into it, I like to start things off with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So Ooh. tell me what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? Um, I'd like to get rid of all of the acronyms that we as marketers use. Oh. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I, I think there's way too many acronyms. I know that's a bit of a blanket statement, but I find that the acronyms, uh, number one, tend to bring different uh, definitions. Like we can start off with one, which is MQL, right? An SQL, like an SQL to a CMO versus a CRO are two different meanings. And uh, it actually derives from Salesforce, right, partly. And the definitions have to be um, really clarified with the team. And, and what I mean by that is the executive team, uh, because I found in 15 years, there's never been a single moment where even the SQL in itself is the same exact definition as the marketing team has been using versus what the CRO and his or her team is using. Um, and that is like the groundwork for everything. A after that, I mean, obviously, all the other acronyms that we use could be discussed, but I think in, in this light of what we're doing and talking about today, I think the SQL really needs to be brought to light and, and, and made sure that clarified within the internal teams. Yeah, I, you know, I do love a good acronym, so I can say getting <laughs> rid of all the acronyms will be a little tough for me, but yeah, same. I do wholeheartedly agree with you, though, that, um, you know, a lot a lot of times when we're working with clients, we start with a definition exercise and like, right. well, let's just get all on the same page about how we're defining it. Because I do think so often 
people want to switch it to a new acronym. It's like, let's come up with a new word. And it's like, right. that word has no meaning either if we don't agree on the definition. It's like, we don't have to keep coming up with more creative words. Like, let's just agree on a definition, no matter what we call it. That's right. I told, I, I'm in agreement with you on that for sure. But the team has to discuss those things. So. Yes. Well, now that we have gotten that off our chest, um, I, I will try very hard not to use any acronyms <laughs> in our conversation. Um, so tell me, what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? I think um, there's been quite a discussion in the uh, marketing leadership, I think, in the last one to two years on how to grow revenue properly. Um, I, I think there are certain things that need to be addressed regarding re the, the responsibility of marketing leaders to revenue, right? Uh, according to a study, I believe the shelf life of a CMO right now is less than two years at a company, maybe two and a half years. Um, and that really needs to be addressed. Um, you know, for, for 15 years, part of the reason why I've had a job is because I've had to um, can I can I say certain words? Say yes. I, I've had to cover people's asses, right? Like whether that was the you know ad agency that hired me as my first um, you know consultancy back in two thousand nine to even to today, you know I, I think the way marketing is being taught in schools um, needs to be questioned. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, good or bad. I just think that it needs to be questioned to really see what the purpose of marketing is, which I do have, uh, I'd like to share with the group uh, and those listeners versus um, how it's being taught in school, right? And, and I didn't go to school for marketing, right? Truth be told, I went to school for finance and accounting and started my career at PwC and then spent uh, two years at, at Deloitte Consulting, right? So my background really is, a, is of a financial slash accounting background. And I moved over to marketing which I had the saying of like thinking like a CFO, talking like a CRO and, and acting like a CMO, right? And, and if you look at those three relationships in any enterprise or any startup, there's, there's differences, right? But um, marketing leaders need to really, we need to put ourselves uh, in their shoes, in the shoes of a CFO, in the shoes of a CRO in order to actually do our jobs in a way where we're not seen as a, um, a cost line item, but instead a revenue driver, which is really partly what marketing is supposed to do. I agree wholeheartedly. And I know um, this conversation and getting us to the couch here stemmed from uh, an organization or a community that you and I both are a part of where someone asked the question of what's the magic pill tactic, um, you know, if there is one because right. their CEO was kind of asking, you know, or, or pushing as we've all seen in our careers for like, sure. let's just do whatever is the magic thing. And, you know, different people to, uh, you know, tossed around a few things. I think everybody collectively agreed that there is no magic pill. But right. in that, one of the things that you said was email in that mm -hmm. how, in that focus on revenue and marketing being a revenue driver and not a cost center, that you had had success in the past with really doubling down on email and how to tap into email. And so mm -hmm. I'd like to really bring to light that success story because I know a lot of times when I'm talking to people, there's so many more sexy topics out there than email that, you know, you have the, uh, 
LinkedIn bros talking about email is dead, everything is here, and like email's kind of forgotten because it's the thing that's been around forever. Um, right. And so, in really sharing that success story, um, what would you like people to take away from hearing your perspective on marketing as a revenue driver and where email plays into that? Because I really believe in setting intentions so that people know what sure. they're going to get from the discussion. Absolutely. Um, let me take a step back and just kind of clear the space, right, for, for those listening. Um, the first thing that we have to discuss is what is the purpose of marketing, right? And, and again, this is not taught in schools. And, and it took me uh, quite a bit of time to really uncover what works for me, right? Uh, and again, this is what works for me. If it works for you, great. If it, you can use it, if you don't, throw it out the window and think I'm crazy. Um, to me, the purpose of marketing is to create a demand in order to sell a product or service, right? Uh, and that's it. That is the purpose of marketing, to create a demand, period. Um, and if you want to tack on to sell a product or service, great. But but if you take a look at that, like, what does it take to actually create demand? And the only answer I've come, uh, come across with, and this will tie into the answer of how email drove growth, is communication. How do we communicate with the person that we're going after, right? Um, and and, and for, for the person that says they don't like military words um, in one of the buzzwords I did read through the list, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that's what's been used in, uh, in business, right? They are military uh, terms just because that is, I mean, you know, we have histories of war in, in, in our period, so a lot of us know what, what that looks like. But if you look at that, um, if you're targeting a certain type of individual with a certain job title who is actually going to be the end user, which is, by the way, the most important thing in the entire equation, right? Uh, we won't even talk about product and product marketing right now in, in this call. But if, if we put them at the forefront, it, it's a question of how do we communicate to them, right? And how do they communicate back with us? And the reality of the situation is that, and the challenge of marketers in today's day and age in 2023, you know, today is what, November 7th, right? Like, there is so much noise. We're, most of us are working remotely. Some of us are in hybrid, going to the office. And the same goes for our ICP, right? So we have work and life happening. We have this blurred lines of being a consumer buyer in our private lives and a business buyer in our professional lives. But the one thing we have to do is we actually have to harness attention. Because if we don't have their attention, they will never, ever become a customer. And to me, the way email has been set up, folks say, well, yeah, email is dead. Is it really? Are you still answering no. emails every day? <laughs> like are, are board, board notes being passed around in emails? Are investors communicating to you via email? The answer is yes, right? Like, and that's been a staple point. But the purpose of why email has been a, a cornerstone in my stack is because it allows for me as a marketer to have an open line of communication to my ICP. And for most folks that say, well, it didn't work for me. Well, I'd have to question, what did you actually share? Right? Was it BS? Was it fluff? Or was it actually facts and figures and data? And I find, and I've sold into IT for quite a bit, I find that certain buyers need data and facts. They don't need my opinion as a marketer. 
They just need facts and figures to help them manage whatever problem that they're trying to manage at work to overcome whatever problem continues to be. So to me, emails allow, allows for me to do that. Um, and, and folks say, well, are you spamming? And we can talk tactics, right? Like there, there is conversations around like, well, how are you sending the emails? Are you sending it via your, your main domain? And I say, no, don't send via your main domain because you'll get blacklisted. And then the, the follow-up question to that is, um, you're spamming people who didn't double opt-in. Okay, well, they didn't double opt-in, but if they find what I have to say is valuable, what tends to happen is they tend to become viewers and readers that ultimately become customers. And so I don't even address the double opt-in idea. Um, and I remember I was in Silicon Valley in 2018, late 2018, 2019. And this came up, right, um, in a board meeting. And they go, um, well, aren't you spamming uh, these, these people? I said, well, I'd rather be a rich spammer than a broke one, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, but, but really, absolutely. And they were laughing, right, just like that. And I was like, think about it. Like, the only reason why we think we're getting spammed is because of the relevancy of the content being sent to us. So there has to be a, a, a survey almost of what types of content does the ICP want to receive on a continual cadence. And in my prior company, the CEO of that organization, who, who's dealt with IT for 30 years, knew that topic really well. And so, you know, he actually wrote the content that, that we were sending out. And it was very relevant. And we had 3.8 million names when I entered in. By the time I left, we had 5.2 million uh, emails in our in our email marketing database. They weren't double opt-in, but they all knew him. So one can argue one way or the other. But the point that I'm saying is never block your line of communication to your ICP. And I find that email has been that driver uh, for the organizations that I've been with. Yeah, and I, I would agree. And I'm I'm gonna table the compliance perspective in terms of like absolutely you know, double opt-in. There's certain requirements in certain countries, and you know it's a whole different rabbit hole. But growing the email database mm -hmm. um, has been something that companies have focused on. But mm -hmm. to your point, I think they've done it, and give more thought to growing the database and less thought to what's being sent once they get that name. And, and so one of the things that I've seen, and I, I want to get your opinion on this, is there's a lot of companies that focus on driving the interest to gather names. So paid, you know, paid media, uh, social media, content syndication, events, all these sorts of things that attract people to you but then they don't give any focus to what they're going to say to them after they've attracted them. And you hit on something really key, which is that relevancy and knowing the audience. And right. so often what I see is that companies are just sending what they want to say. Our product does this. We're awesome here. You know, I've seen right. whole campaigns where the whole thing is about why they're awesome. Right. And not at all about what the, the company needs. And so I know you talked about what's being taught in schools, uh, you know, is it, not totally aligned to what marketing needs to do. And so I'm really curious, why do you think that, you know, as long as email's been around, mm -hmm. why do you think so many people still struggle to grasp how to use it effectively? 
Um, I think the first thing I'm going to answer to that, and it's a flash answer for me, is they don't talk to the ICP enough. Mm. Like most marketers actually don't talk to existing customers like on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Like how many marketing leaders actually picked up the phone to talk to the customer that's been there for three or five years? Just ask them, like just literally just ask them, like have you gotten on the phone and talked to the, 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 the top 10% users of the platform? And you find that they don't, so they're they're out of out of reality. And and some folks will question me about this, right? Like I know this, and I've been very uh, vocal about this in in my career and some of the companies that I've helped out. And these are tough conversations to have internally, right? Like you're essentially challenging somebody's blueprint of how they're making decisions. And what I come to find one for one is when when folks are having a challenge of like their content strategy and what to say and how to say it. It's because they don't have any reality on the person they're trying to talk to. And I'm just going to bring it back down to like layman's terms, right? Like if I was to go to dinner tonight with my friends and my family and they were to ask me what I do for a living, 99% of what I do, my parents still don't understand. But if I told them, dad, I help salespeople close deals via marketing he's like oh yeah i used to be a sales guy that makes sense like brochures and information like yeah dad something like digital brochures right he's like oh okay that makes sense like you have to put it at the level of reality that that person can have and the challenge uh, which is your question is because most marketers simply don't have enough conversations and relationship with the icps and so i would challenge those listening to this to either do surveys or do one-on-one -on -one calls with power users, right? There's always gonna be, in every company that I've seen, there's always gonna be a top five to 10% of users. Those who log in constantly, they're, they're active daily users, weekly users, monthly users of the platform. And if you ask the product team and the engineering team and the customer success team for that data, they have it. They have, they'd be like, oh, here's the list of top um, heavy users, what we call power users. Well, isn't it time to have a relationship with them? And just asking them like, hey, what do you, you know, what type of content do you like to consume? What challenges do you have on uh, that you're trying to manage, right? How has our platform helped you out in managing that, that problem at work, right? And then all of a sudden, you kind of get this gist of like, you know, if you talk to enough um, users, you're like, oh, there's a recurring theme here of what they want to read, Right. And like, it's like, oh, why don't we put some of, some, of, some of that content out? And there was a company, a cloud hosting company that I was early on. I was, um, quote unquote, a growth hacker, right? A growth hacker is essentially trying to grow user base. And we developed um, how to articles for uh, the developers, right? So we didn't, you know, I, I think partly the conversation was like, oh, we, we want to go up against AWS and these large companies. And we were like, the David versus Goliath. And we are not even David. We're like baby David, right? <laughs> like we were, we were like nobody. Right. Right. And, um, but what we did was we built an awesome product, which we were very much product focused. And then we looked at what, who the users were, which was developers. And we focused on the users in terms of what they needed and wanted and what they needed and wanted from a content perspective were how to articles, by the way, by research, by cohort analysis, there's two types of content that works and it's worked for at least over a decade in my career, how to articles and like the best ways to do blah, right? Specifically for that audience and the how to articles you can't mess up on, right? Uh, reading a how to article must have a specific output 
that is laid out in the how to do whatever. Like it's like how to bake a cookie, right? Like, well, what kind of cookie? Chocolate chip cookie. Okay. How to bake a chocolate chip cookie. If you have a instruction to do that, if I go and do that tonight, I better have a at least a, an acceptable tasting cookie in my in my mouth, right? So the same <laughs> thing goes for articles, right? And, and we have to lay it down in the human level, right? Relevancy, by the way, you talked about relevancy. Uh, the entire thesis, um, for those of you who like to nerd out, you should read the thesis of what built uh, Google to be, right? Google's in, uh, entire existence is on one word, which is relevancy. That's it. Like if you look at the, the 90, I think in like 1992, I read it when I was like 15 years old. And it was essentially the white paper on the search engine of Google, right? By Sergey and Larry. So like in relevancy was the key word. And, and if you look at that, most of us in our lives, like when we ask a question, we want a workable answer based on reality that we can have proof on. And if we don't find that answer, we either ditch it or we get very upset. Yeah. And the same thing goes for the content for email. That's a really great point. And I think in thinking about email marketing strategy, that's a great word to anchor on because yeah. I do see a lot of organizations, they know they need to do email. And so they just put stuff together. Like, let's think about, we got a new subscriber. What do we want to send them? And right. they're not asking the question of what is actually relevant in that moment. Right. Um, and so I'd like to shift a little bit because our audience is primarily heads of marketing. So VPs, CMOs. Um, and so they're obviously not the ones hands in, you know, crafting emails, at least not at larger organizations. So mm -hmm. what do you say to the head of marketing in how they guide their teams in one, being able to clearly articulate why email needs to be a key tactic? Um, or that anchor tactic, as you called it earlier, and how to get them to focus on that relevancy. Like, how do we as leaders guide our team down the path that you've successfully gone? Yeah, so let's just take uh, large enterprises, right? Let's say Fortune 1000. Like, if, if a Fortune 1000 marketing leader came to me and asked that question, let's, let's kind of role play here with you. And you're that marketing leader of a Fortune 1000 company. The first thing I would ask is like, let's take a look at the team members that you have in, in, in marketing and product. Who in marketing has relationships with the product team and who in marketing has relationships with the customer success and onboarding teams? Because if, if, you, if you're an organization of, let's say, 10,000, right, the CMO is not going to be able to do that hands on. But somebody in the team has to take responsibility for getting feedback loops in the organization. And I can bet you with my entire life that there's somebody in customer success, there's somebody in onboarding, and there's somebody in product that has that information, right? And, and sometimes what large organizations tend to do, will do something like an NPS survey and, and we'll sneak in some of these questions that marketing team needs, which I have seen, right? Because the, the argument of like, oh, we don't want to bombard our users with, with surveys because we're large enterprise now and whatever, right? Okay, fine, you still need to get your, your questions answered. and so. A marketing leader needs to have somebody in their team um, doing that, right? And, and forging those relationships, which is partly why I've had a job for 15 years, 
like literally I come in as a banner of a consultant and it's just like, I'm a consultant. It's like, oh yeah, the, the, the marketing leader, the CEO will introduce me to the chief product officer. The chief product officer will introduce me to a product manager and then we'll get introduced to it. You know, the onboarding lead, and then I'll get introduced to the, uh, customer success, uh, head of customer success, right now have relationship as a consultant. Cause then I don't post a threat to their job, which, uh, to me, that's a whole different topic, why people protect their work. And I think that organizations need to have candor conversations with each other in terms of how to best serve their customers. And that sometimes means putting the ego aside and sometimes just saying like, hey, we haven't done that or I messed up on that project. And if you get fired for admitting you messed up on a project, you probably deserve to be in another company anyway. Yes. Because a company who doesn't value somebody who admits to messing up, they're probably brushing a lot of things under the rug anyway, right? Um, but you have to navigate depending on what the environment looks like. For a Fortune 1000 marketing leader, I would recommend him or her to assign to somebody, whether that's a director level, whether that's a VP level, uh, somebody that has relationship with these with these different departments in order to gather that information. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like really no one should see it as a threat. It's not like a marketing manager right. is trying to steal a customer success manager's job. It's like, no, right. technically we really can help each other do our jobs better. And I do think right. that that's a great place for the leader, you know, the head of marketing to lean in because in some cases there are organizational barriers that, you know, make creating those relationships difficult. And yep. so the person that is the most senior person in marketing has the the leverage and influence to be able to open those doors. And so I do think that that's a, a really great place um, for, for our leaders to start. Um, right. My last question that I want to ask is kind of in a different direction. I know sometimes ownership and where things should sit within an organization can be a challenge. And so obviously there's generally a team that handles, you know, email execution and actually getting mm -hmm. stuff out the door. Like that part's usually self-explanatory. Uh, but where I see a little bit of a debate within some organizations is where the development of email content and messaging <laughs> should live. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good topic. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to hear your thoughts from an org structure perspective. Um, how should that flow? You know, the strategy around, you know, creating that relevancy, like what roles, where in the department should that live? Like what's the best place? What's your two cents on that? Yeah. Um, great, great topic, man. We can spend a whole half hour on that thing alone. <laughs> right. I, Cause I've seen, you know, I've consulted for, well over like 70 companies now. Some of it are public, some of them are not because of, you know, obviously paperwork that I've had to sign. Um, let me take a step back. I, I think that, that marketing leaders need to communicate the corporate objectives that they've been given by the board and by the executive team, right? I think that's really the starting point. And the reason for that is that's the only way to harness agreements with other department heads when it comes to the types of content. It's not necessarily the type of content that we're trying to put out. It's more of the fact that like, how does it align to the corporate objectives that we as C-level folks or leaders are all tied to, right? Like if I'm gonna go and convince 
um, the, the chief product officer to have a product manager to give me content, which I have, right? The true story. I've had product managers give me tips on what's happening from a product perspective, right? And they've developed content for me. I've also had onboarding team members develop content for me. I've had uh, customer success folks develop content for me, right? Like you're asking, like, how does a, a marketing leader do that? Well, the reason is because I tied what I'm doing with email marketing and content to the corporate objectives that we're all tied to and all our next and, and careers are, are and our KPIs and our bonuses are tied to, right? And by making that known from the top down, then it moves very, very quickly. But that is something that that marketing leader has to forge that relationship with other department heads. Like, you know, a chief product officer is not going to give me a resource or he or she is not going to write me a piece of content if I don't feel that what I'm doing for, for my output is not affecting their department. And the reality of the situation is we're one organization. To the user, we're one, not multiple. And so that's really how I develop content, Brandy, is, is you know, I look at the product team, I look at the onboarding team, I look at customer success, I look at the CRO, right? In terms of like, hey, what's closing versus what objection are we continuing to have, right? That's feedback loop. And so there's a constant feedback happening. And so it's not a matter of one department owning content. It's more of the fact of like what content will help our existing customers versus our, our you know, prospects, so to say, right? And then crafting the messaging around that and making sure the content goes out. Yeah, and I, I really love that um, because what I'm hearing is that there's not just this one, you know, lonely person who just sits and cranks out emails. And right. because I've seen that like as an actual role, like they, you know, that's what they do. They crank out all the emails across the organization. And I see the challenge with the relevancy there and mm -hmm. the voice because you have one person that is just leaning on and they're usually great writers, not you know, great subject matter experts. And so what I'm hearing you saying is to get that relevancy and good content that does support the objectives, you've got to tap into all your resources um, right. and that it doesn't need to come from, you know, one key place. And, and I really love that because I've seen it done both ways. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, usually there is an editor or someone who has to like massage whatever it is into the final output. And that's all fine and good. But having it, you know, if you're trying to write something that is a how to, you know, product marketing might be the best place. If you're trying to write right. a customer story, you know, customer success may be the place to, to lean into that. And so I really like tapping into the subject matter experts within the organization to help drive that email content, to have that re relevancy and be able to speak the language of your target audience. Absolutely. And I think each, there, there's no one size fits all when it comes to email strategy, right? Like it also depends on what the platform or product or service that's being sold, right? Like if you have a, a heavy you know, one of the best, I think one of the best product marketing emails I've seen in a long time is Calendly, right? Like I've been a Calendly user for like since I think month four. Mm. And they have a product, a specific product marketing email that talks about product only. And so th that doesn't mean that there's only one email being sent out by the company, 
there could be a, a multitude of emails. Just make sure that it's relevant to that audience. So if they're paying customer, right, are they getting, you know, product related updates versus a non-paying customer? Would you include that? Right. And that's a, that's a discussion, right? Like product teams tend to have that discussion with me and they're like, well, I don't, and, and sales, by the way, gets involved, right? They're like, whoa, don't email the prospects, only email paying customers. And so these are things that we have to navigate as marketers in the organizations that we're working in, because we have to understand what the objectives are of our peers and how do we align. But I will tell you this, I will tell you this without a shadow of a doubt, the end user is willing to get an email if it's relevant to them. I know that. I know that for a fact. Like I, I'm a marketer and I hate marketing. <laughs> and like, like flat out hate marketing. You don't see me wear logos, right? You don't see me promote something unless I believe in it. Uh, and the same thing goes for users, right? Like if you just put yourself in their shoes, like why do we delete emails? And why do we have multi multiple email accounts? Like, I don't know about you, but I have multitude email accounts. Like there's the, the VIP email account. <laughs> there's the, there's the uh, email account that's specifically for um, uh, uh, promo codes, right? To get like 10 to 20% off. And then yeah. there's the email account for business, you know, and there's, you know what I mean? So like, there's minimally three that I use, right? But I can tell you there's way more than that. Um, and there's one email that I check every day and I will move certain product emails in my in my VIP email because I want to truly understand because it affects me. And yeah. I think that's the question is like the relevancy has to have an effect on that human being. And so that's what I would challenge uh, marketing leaders to do is like, you know, if you can get out an email once a month, I've seen companies who don't email who hasn't even emailed in, in a single quarter. And cool. then they ask me, they're like, like, oh, we are our, our predictable revenue, our pipeline's hurting. I was like, when was the last time you communicated? Uh, when was the last time you sent out an email? They're like, what? <laughs> and every time I put it in, it's like, oh, our leads are flowing. It's like, hmm, no wonder. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure, right? And, and, and you know, uh, also, I, I like to put in there having an in-house webinar series is fantastic. Because once you have actual readers of your, your newsletter and your, your emails, you start inviting them to more what people would call mid-funnel engagements and bottom-of-the-funnel engagements. And there's really two types of webinars that I recommend to organizations. One is top-of-funnel, talking about the problem set. And then number two is product-focused, right? Purely being factual and data-driven on the product. You're not trying to sell the product or service. You're just showcasing it, right? And, and I usually run the top-of-funnel uh, in-house webinars, uh, first week of the month on a Thursday at 2 PM. Don't ask me why 2 PM works or 3 PM works. It just works. If you have multi geographical, uh, locations, yeah. I find that in the Eastern U S I get a lot of people showing up. Uh, I, one of the webinars I did recently, we had 900 people. This is a first webinar for this startup ever. Right. Um, first one we did 900 signups, 360 people showed up from a cold list. Cold. Wow. 360 people showed up. Now tell me how many people you got showing up in your webinar. If you got 360 people, holler at me because I want to know your tricks. Uh, some And I told the team like, hey, man, if 25 people showed up, we're good. Right. And we had 360 people show up. So the reason for that is, is relevancy. And uh, we did give them a little gift, which uh, was nice for them. So. 
Awesome. Well, talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. Um, in traditional therapy, the therapist gives <laughs> the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So for those heads of marketing that are listening and are really, you know, what you've said is really resonated, they recognize that they are really not tapping into email the way that they should. Um, what's your one thing? What is our next step? What do you, where do you recommend that they start? Number one, um, just take a look under the hood, right? Just, just take a look at when the last emails were sent out and what emails were sent out. So that's homework. Number one is just observing and looking, um, and seeing if that aligns to the corporate objectives of the organization and the department heads, such as yourself, the marketing leader, that's homework. One homework two. If you can send out an email once a month from once a quarter to once a month, great. If you're doing it monthly, try to do it every two weeks. If you're doing it every two weeks, try to do weekly. I know one company that's sending out a top of funnel email every Monday or Tuesday at 11 a.m. And they send out a product email on Thursday or Friday on a weekly. Like it's a machine. And that company obviously sold for a few billion dollars. So, um, but like I said, it, you know, people want to hear from you, make sure that you have something to say that's of value to them. So that's the homework. Take a look and then try to increase your cadence. Okay. So instead of one thing, we got two. I <laughs> love it. Um, well, Thanks. Denmark, I have enjoyed our discussion, but that's our time for today. But before we go, tell our audience, how can they connect with you? I know you're a consultant as well. So go ahead and give the shameless plug. Shameless plug. I'm very easy to get a hold of. I'm on LinkedIn, Denmark, Francisco, Denmark, like the country, Francisco, like the city. If you message me, if you email me, if you text me, if I don't answer your text or email within 24 hours, I most likely didn't get it. So just text me directly and I'm pretty fast to get a hold of. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to link to your LinkedIn so that people can stay connected. Thank you so, so much for joining me. You're welcome. Awesome. And thanks everyone for joining us today. I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with Denmark. I can't believe we're at the end. We'll see you next time. Bye everyone. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at revenuerehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.